Taiwan's 2024 presidential election is heating up, with the DPP's candidate Lai Qingde launching his fundraising website. At a Tuesday press conference, Lai's campaign office unveiled baseball-themed gifts for donors. According to the Wall Street Journal, Lai may stop over in the U.S. this August during a visit to Paraguay. Lai's campaign spokespeople declined to confirm the report, but said that any plans for a trip will be announced in due course. Young supporters stand in a row, chanting campaign slogans. Lai's fundraising website is now live, with five campaign gifts on offer. There's a Team Taiwan baseball jacket that Lai wore once at a campaign event, and a t-shirt themed on hope. The eye-catching gifts all incorporate a baseball home plate. Chairman Lai has loved baseball since he was a kid, and when he plays baseball, he serves as the catcher. When a catcher is crouching down, there's only one thing he sees in front of him. It's called home base. In English, it's called home base, and symbolically, home base means protecting your homeland. In related news, the Wall Street Journal reports that Taiwan's 2024 election was a primary talking point during U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's recent visit to China. Sources say Lai is likely to visit the U.S. this summer, potentially in August, when he heads to Paraguay to attend the inauguration of President-elect Santiago Pena. If he will make a trip abroad, I believe you will all be informed about it like it was done in the past. So far, we haven't been notified of any plans for an official visit. Lai's campaign office has yet to confirm his trip to the U.S., but sources say U.S. officials trust Lai as a candidate and that Taiwan-U.S. relations will only deepen if he is elected. Vice President Lai Qingde is working hard on his public image as his presidential campaign gathers pace. Lai is known for former dressing, formal dressing, having a penchant for suits and ties which rarely wavers. But lately, he started to dabble with more informal outfits in an effort to reach out to younger voters. FTV spoke to DPP lawmaker Zheng Yunpeng for his take on the image issue. Vice President Lai Qingde is properly attired in an apron to make zongzi with a group of cooks. It's an unusually casual look for Lai, whose public outfits have historically struck close to the suit and tie, even if he took on a steward's role. On the road, Tainan lawmaker Lin Junxian said to me, Yunpeng, you're a member of the legislature. You have to wear a suit and tie. I said, why? He said, Premier Lai Qingde saw me in an interview once and called me straight away to tell me, if you're interviewed, you must wear a suit and tie. Otherwise, you don't look like a legislator. He said he feared for me to get a call from Lai, saying, You're a member of the party caucus. Where's your tie? But Lai's buttoned-up image has distanced him from young people. Concerned supporters have been urging Lai for some time to drop the formalities and put on a t-shirt for once. I used to be a doctor, and when I was in the hospital or at academic conferences or having meetings as a lawmaker or mayor or premier, I had to attend lots of formal occasions, and I had to wear a suit for all of them, otherwise I would secretly feel different from everyone else. Lai has decided to take up his friend's advice. In recent videos, he was seen sporting a polo shirt, and on outings with dignitaries, a suit, but no tie. And a t-shirt was the choice for a Friends Who Rely on Lie event. But other DPP lawmakers say that dressing as the real you is all that matters in the end. Some people might think it's boring. 
But actually, I think this is the image that behooves any head of state. And that's what really marks Lai Qingde out from the two other presidential candidates. He's the most reliable candidate. DPP lawmaker Zhang Yunpeng doesn't want Lai to change. He thinks a statement's like image is not to be confused with stuffiness. Taiwan People Party presidential nominee Ke Wenzhe has ignited a firestorm by saying that he will restart talks with China over the cross-strait service trade agreement. The controversial treaty has never ratified after sparking a wave of protest known as the 2014 Sunflower Student Movement. Ke said he was never opposed to the treaty itself, but only to the secretive negotiations that brokered it. His remarks have drawn anger from local politicians who accuse him of changing his tune to win votes. I have to apologize to him for misunderstanding him all this time. It turns out that Ke Wenzhe is not opposed to the cross-strait service trade agreement after all. If he is elected president, he will push for it again. Years ago, he rode on the wave of opposition to the treaty, going from a doctor to a mayor. We should regard this as a beautiful historical misunderstanding. Presidential hopeful Ke Wenzhe said he intends to revive the cross-strait service trade agreement. He said that his past opposition to the treaty was not because of the treaty itself, but because of its black box negotiations. Wu Zhen, who protested against the treaty in the Sunflower Student Movement, confronted Ke over his stance. Back in 2014 and even earlier in 2013, Ke Wenzhe didn't put it quite like that. He compared it to tightening a screw, saying that once the screws were attached, they would only get tighter and tighter. Ke Wenzhe emphasized that once the agreement was signed, Taiwan's top-tier medical talent would go to China, and low-end medical talent would see their salaries go down in Taiwan. So why has Ke Wenzhe changed his position? Ke previously testified at public hearings in his capacity as a doctor. He spoke about the treaty's adverse impact in remarks that have come back to haunt him. On social media, New Power Party legislator Chiu Xianzhi criticized supporters of the cross-strait service trade agreement, urging the people of Taiwan to reject such candidates. It wasn't just the black box negotiations that drove 500,000 people out onto the streets. The train of thought was quite clear. The problem was the China factor. Don't distort the protest movement just because you need to bring in deep blue votes. Kowenja quit playing dumb. The true goal of the cross-strait service trade agreement was unification. Now that China's economy is on the decline and its unemployment rate is soaring high, the only reason I can think of is that Chairman Ke wants to win Beijing's support in order to poach voters from the blue camp. Concerns are mounting that the treaty will return and become a tool for the CCP's unification campaign. Politicians from across party lines are speaking out against Ke, urging him not to court China for the sake of the election. Students at Lingbian Primary School in Pingdong have an unusual routine. The school sits on a busy road next to a temple. Many parents drop off their kids at the temple gate so they can walk the rest of the way through the safe sacred grounds. Teachers, parents and local officials all agree it's the safest route. And for the children, it's a chance to cultivate a daily relationship with Taiwan's religious heritage. As these Limbian primary school students walk through the temple, they make a small bow to the god. It's their daily routine. It's quicker to get to school this way, and safer, because there are fewer cars. There are more cars at the front gate. 
The front gate is on a main road and lots of heavy vehicles pass by. It's a bad spot to drop off a child. So many parents choose to ride their scooters up to the gates of the next door temple. There the kids can take their time saying goodbye and walk safely into school through the temple. It's our top god here. In this temple, we want to make life easier for people. If they go to school this way, they can avoid the big road. There are lots of cars and it's dangerous. They allow parents to pull up in the temple courtyard. Most of all, the temple and Lingbian Primary School have been neighbors, very good neighbors, for a long time now. This special routine of praying in the temple before going to school helps children start their day in security, physically and perhaps spiritually too. TITRA, or the Taiwan External Trade Development Council, has opened an office in Texas to support local Taiwanese investors. The grand opening was attended by five U.S. representatives in a strong show of support for Taiwan. TITRA chairman James Huang said that Texas' office was the council's fifth American outpost and will bring in even more Taiwanese businesses. He catches the pass and scores a touchdown. It's the grand opening of the Taiwan Trade Center in Dallas, Texas. With the reordering of the global supply chain, the American South has become a manufacturing hub and Taiwanese factories are moving in. Titra launched an office to support Taiwanese businesses. Taiwan's position in the U.S. industrial landscape is very different from what it was before. We used to export products to the U.S. Now, we've become an important foreign investor, especially in leading-edge tech sectors such as semiconductors. The potential for economic development in this region is immense. That was a very important consideration behind our decision to set up an office in Dallas. The warming ties between Taiwan and the U.S. were clear on opening day of the Taiwan Trade Center, where five U.S. representatives put up a rare show of support for Taiwan signaling more collaboration ahead in the trade and tech industries. So I think that it's going to be huge. I think that it will increase the trade that we see happening come out of the state of Texas. I think we have a lot of logistical advantages that exist in Texas. We have so many large airports. We have an inland port. Um, and we also do tons of trucking in this area. So we've got the manufacturing. We've got what it needs to sustain real trade. As we look at the chip industry today, and its development, America and Taiwan will have this special relationship as a result of Samsung, who is coming to the congressional district that I'm lucky to represent. Dallas, a key financial and commercial center in Texas, is home to many of the world's top chip makers. Especially after the pandemic, Dallas has seen a population boom and become a magnet for Taiwanese businesses. The Transport Ministry is raising the stakes for drivers who don't yield to pedestrians. Starting June 30th, the fine will jump from 3,600 NT to 6,000 NT. But the ministry has shied away from stricter regulations. It initially planned to mandate a full stop for all pedestrians on a crosswalk. After a public outcry, it revised the proposal to ask drivers to stop for pedestrians who were, quote, near and not far. However, on Tuesday, the ministry said it would stick with its current three-meter rule, which requires vehicles to be at least three meters away from pedestrians on crosswalks. There wasn't much of a problem with the original rule. 
We don't have very strong reasons to adjust it. We wanted to emphasize that whenever pedestrians step onto the crosswalk or walk into an intersection, they have absolute right of way. As for definitions of a near or far pedestrian, it's very difficult to be consistent because each person may have a different sense of near and far as defined by traffic signals or pedestrian islands. So there might be ambiguity or there might be situations where a judgment simply can't be made. So we are going to continue using the original rule. This morning I confirmed this matter with the National Police Agency. Right now, the rule we will enforce is the same one that's been in effect since 2006, which is the three meter rule. As for the fine being raised, we believe this will make the public form a habit of yielding to pedestrians, and so we'll likely see some things change. The decision to retain the three-meter rule was made after a meeting of law enforcement officials, traffic experts, and transportation officials. The participants said that the public was already familiar with the current rule, which means it will be easier to enforce. Do you know how much waste is in the ocean? According to AFP, an estimated 5 trillion pieces of garbage are in the world's oceans right now. The waste directly injures millions of sea creatures every year, says Taiwan's Ocean Conservation Administration. The call to clean up Taiwan's waters is growing, and some companies are taking on the challenge of making new products out of waste recovered from the sea. Let's meet the businesses making treasure out of trash. A sea turtle struggles to swim as it drags a long fishing net along in the water. Luckily, these people were able to help. But the coral reef down here is being strangled by ocean waste. If we don't pay attention soon, it may be too late to save it. The Ocean Conservation Administration says it has collected as much as 13,000 tons of ocean waste in less than five years. As ecological awareness grows in Taiwan, more and more people are volunteering for ocean cleanup projects, and companies are stepping up to reuse and recycle ocean waste. Plastic bottles generally represent about 20% of ocean waste. They're the largest single component of ocean waste. We use about five recovered waste bottles for one flip-flop, as well as three oyster shells. We generally use about 15 bottles to make one larger-sized casual sneaker. This company uses garbage pulled out of the ocean to make everything from your typical blue and white slippers to a super stylish statement sneaker. The plastic is first broken down and then reprocessed into new material. It saves plastic and provides great material for shoes. Plastic bottles become a very soft and malleable material for shoes. Oyster shells are also a great source of natural calcium oxide. It's an inorganic material, so it's antibacterial, emits far infrared radiation, and resists static electricity. And you can wear ocean waste on more than just your feet. These clothes and bags, laptops, keyboards, mice and cleaning fluid bottles are all made from stuff the ocean didn't need. Most recycling and reuse of ocean waste involves plastics, but you need to use about three times as much material when you recycle plastic bottles recovered from the ocean because the plastic is degraded by ultraviolet radiation from sunlight when it spends a long time in the seawater. 
To deal with ocean waste sustainably, lots of technical challenges remain, but many companies are keen to get in on the act of turning garbage into gold. The internet has blown up over a photo of an egg yolk that's white. The consumer of the egg was joined by a group of netizens claiming it was the first time they had ever seen a white-on-white -white egg. But do white eggs even taste any good? And what would cause a yolk to be so pale? We spoke to nutritionists, agriculturalists, and the farmers who produced the special egg to learn more. This boiled egg gave its consumer a fright. The yolk is white. What would cause something like this? Miaoli nutritionist Yang Jingxuan says the color of the yolk is determined by the food eaten by the hen. If that food contains a lot of carotenoids like lutein or xanthanin, that makes the yolk turn bright orange. The biggest difference is in the level of vitamin A. There's usually a difference in the lutein's too. We visited the egg farm to ask the owner. They say the main feed for their hens is non-GMO wheat. The yolks in their eggs are usually quite pale. But this official from Miali County Agriculture Department says there are two more possible explanations for white yolk. One is that it's a blank cartridge. There is no yolk at all. Another is heat stress. Heat stress can also make the yolk tend towards a white color. Although white yolks are uncommon, nutritionists stress that white yolk eggs have the same protein content and calories as a normal egg and are nothing to worry about. We now take you to see a new exhibition in Taipei that explores historical memories and the idea of deja vu. 25 Taiwanese and international artists have presented works for display in a variety of mediums. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang brings us in for a closer look. A walk into the exhibition brings us into the presence of relics from our past, artifacts, photos, videos, and prints. Jack Burton, an artist born in southern Wales, creates works out of subject matter relating to shop signs, technology, social media, connectivity, and nostalgia. The kind of feeling behind um, most of the work in the show was being interested in um, the kind of um, aesthetics of things that are around us every day, whether it's shop signs or restaurant signs, the kind of the kind of things that tell us this is a social space where we can go in and maybe meet people or wait for people. And um, tied in with that was, so for example with this work, um, thinking about how things like um, mobile phones and um, the internet and how we're constantly connected, how that might have changed the way um, we relate to each other. This exhibition brings together works that reflect certain historical events, which might be catastrophic disasters or certain instances that become symbols of a particular era. While many of the works on display may elicit feelings of nostalgia in viewers, the exhibition is not solely concerned with showing particular acts or relics from the past, but rather to provoke discourse on what's next. And this exhibition is about the uh, historical memory and also about the way those historical memories um, is embodied uh, as a, a kind of a text or object and being circulated uh, in our contemporary living world. Yeah, so uh, some of the uh, historical memories uh, can be uh, 
which of the social political events, but also it can be a very personal experience. 25 artists, including Andres Barron, Slater Bradley, Jack Burton, Rutherford Chang, and Yuraki, are showcasing their pieces created out of a variety of media that range from video and installation to virtual reality. Their creations also explore the concept of deja vu. Uh, because it, I think it's kind of common experience for uh, now that uh, somehow you, you would just feel that uh, you would sense kind of a historical style or historical um, uh, historical uh, memories haunted in the, your uh, the contemporary life. Yeah, so it kind of like the experience of deja vu. Yeah, so uh, I want to um, to uh, find a way to uh, explore these kind of uh, feelings about contemporary life and uh, and also its relation to the history. Yeah, so uh, I think the contemporary art became uh, a way for uh, allowing us to um, to make this happen. The exhibition can be viewed up to August 13th at the Taiwan Contemporary Culture Lab. TV reporter Stephanie Yang and Guo Shenzhen in Taipei.